Hello and welcome to the Bigger Than Us podcast. I'm your host, Raj Daniels, and today I'd like to welcome Landon Brand to the show. Landon is the CEO and co-founder of Project Ren. Ren is a web app that makes it easy to offset your carbon footprint. Ren's mission is to build tools that help everyone act against climate change. Ren is starting with a subscription service that offsets your footprint because it's a simple and direct way to take action against climate change. Landon, how are you doing today? Hey, Raj, I'm doing great. Really excited I get to be on this podcast today. Well, I'm excited you're on, Landon. Landon, I'd like to open the show by asking my guest the following question. If you were asked to share something interesting about yourself, what would it be? Yeah, so one interesting thing about Ren's past, let me, let me just back up for a second, give you a little bit of backstory. So right now we're working on a piece of software that lets you go calculate your carbon footprint and then offset it through a monthly subscription. So I'm sure we'll get into a little bit more of that a little bit later on. But how we came up with the idea was myself and a couple of friends from college were trying to come up with some idea for a business that we could work on after college at some point. Instead of instead of getting a more traditional job, we thought it'd be fun to work on our own thing. And we had come up with different ideas, but we felt like there wasn't really anything we were resonating with for a while. And then we had this idea to just work on something related to climate change. And we we weren't studying anything related to climate change. We weren't going to be able to like make a better solar panel or something like that. So we looked at what we could do that would maybe have an impact and said, hey, maybe we can make a bunch of vegan food and get everyone to go vegan. And that can be how we change the world and ha- have a great impact on uh, America's carbon footprint. And we tried it for a couple of weeks. We were just making a bunch of vegan food out of my kitchen. It was just like a little apartment. Um, some of our friends were kind enough to taste it and be like our pilot customers for a little while. But after a while, we realized maybe this wasn't the perfect idea for us. Um, there's a lot of complicated logistics that go into it. We weren't actually sure if we were had a huge um, difference on the carbon footprint of food because of the amount of shipping and packaging that we were then creating into this world as well. So we eventually decided to change ideas after that. But that was a fun way to spend a couple of weeks and learn a bit more about our diet's carbon footprint. So a couple of interesting things from what you just said. One is the vegan food. What was your favorite recipe? Okay, so this is actually kind of funny. In this time period, we were making a bunch of recipes. I'd say 90% of them were really bad. Like, so I'm, I think I'm a pretty good home cook, but like, I'm no chef or anything like that. I'm not professionally trained at all. And making vegan food was a different world for me. So, cause I, I had typically, I tried to go light on a lot of the meat stuff, but I working without eggs, without dairy, that was very tricky. Um, my favorite recipe probably ended up being this sort of crepe that we would make out of chia seeds and there's a bit of flour and we, we put some cocoa in it and p- cook it on a pan and it's kind of like a thin spongy crepe and we spread some almond butter on it. It was super tasty even though it was sugar free but I think I was eating so many of those crepes that the caffeine from the chocolate was just keeping me awake um, like all the time. I remember one morning I woke up at five in the morning and I was like, wow, I'm just so ready to go today. This is going to be an awesome day. Like I f- feel like we're living our passion right now. This is amazing. 
But in retrospect, I think I was just really enjoying those cocoa crepes and I was really wired and ready to go from the caffeine more so than the mission. But it, in some ways, it was a really fun um, recipe and that just tasted really good. And it was a really fun way to spend our time too, even if it didn't end up being as impactful as we looked for it. it and it led to this. So it was a good use of time for sure. Well, and the second question I had from what you said in the beginning about interesting is the entrepreneurial bug. Do you come from a line of entrepreneurs? Where did that bug come from? You know, that's a that's a good question. Um, don't particularly come from a line of entrepreneurs. I'd say like my mom's really entrepreneurial, but maybe not in like the, definitely not in the startup world or anything like that. And we, At least for me, I didn't really have any exposure, didn't know what a startup was until sometime in starting college probably. Um, but I was always interested in kind of doing my own thing. And I think through college kind of realized that I could have a lot of impact on the world by starting an impactful organization from scratch. Like that is a, that can be a very useful lever to move the world with this. And I, I got really excited about that idea. So speaking of organization, can you share with the audience a little bit about Ren? Yeah. So Ren is a monthly subscription to offset your carbon footprint. So our, our big vision is that we want to make it as easy as possible for anyone to take action on climate change. So we know there's a lot of people out there that want to do something. They care about climate change. They know it's a huge problem, but they don't know what to do. And they're not ready to drop everything, become an activist. They're not ready to really publicly make a huge stance and reorganize their life around reversing climate change, but maybe they're ready to learn a little bit more. Maybe they can calculate their carbon footprint um, and maybe they can fund projects to pull down that carbon footprint. And hopefully over time, we can engage some of our users more and more and help them understand what they can do as an individual to make a difference on climate change. So right now we have just a simple website, you calculate your carbon footprint, and then you choose a few projects to fund that are like planting trees or uh, protecting rainforest or otherwise pulling down or preventing CO2 emissions. And then we send you a monthly update on how your carbon footprint is being offset through those projects. And how's the feedback been so far? Really great feedback. Um, we try and talk with our users as much as we can. I it's almost kind of like we think of it almost like a community and we're just building whatever people are looking for next. Um, the, the feedback definitely has been positive in terms of the actual product experience and making it a little bit easier. And I think what's more, even more exciting to us than that is we get a lot of feedback of people saying, I didn't feel like I could do much about climate change, but you've made it so easy for me that I, I just saw no reason I wouldn't sign up. Like this is, it takes 15 minutes and it's a few dollars per month. And that's the least I could do. So thank you for that. And that kind of feedback feels really good to us because that's exactly what we're trying to do. Now, I might have missed this in the beginning. Did you say it's a subscription model? Yeah, it's a subscription model. So it's like every single month, um, we offset the carbon footprint that you, you've calculated. So I could join for, let's say, $50 a month, and then you would put that towards some program to reduce carbon. Is that correct? Yeah, that's exactly right. Very interesting. So I don't get to spend a lot of time with people your age. 
what's the general consensus out there regarding climate change and you know the environment? Obviously, I, I see the PR and I see some of the news, but I don't get to spend time around young people. So if you can give me like a man on the ground situation, I'd really like to hear that. Yeah, that's a great question. Um, so one thing I should mention, we're, we're based in the US. Um, right now, we're living in San Francisco. So not a 100% representative of the population, but I would say from some of the surveys we've looked at and some of like the larger examinations of what is America's attitude towards climate change, um, there was one really striking poll that said it was something like 90% of Gen Z is alarmed about climate change. And other polls that are looking at who's alarmed about climate change, normally it's about 30% of the population in the U.S. And so it's, it's very clear that younger generations are really, really passionate about this. And I, I think you see that too. And like, if you're following the climate strikes and the Fridays for Future movement, it's really being led by, you know, Greta Thunberg is 16. Like these people are really young who are on the front lines of uh, doing something about climate change um, because it's, to some degree, it's because it's their future. But I, I think also part of it is just that younger folks maybe have been educated a bit more about climate change in their schools. And I think for a lot of us who are, a lot of folks who are kind of older, who have heard about climate change for a while, the story started to lose its urgency. It's like, oh yeah, climate change is a problem. It's like always been a problem. It'll always be a problem or something. But I think the, the younger folks see it as, no, this is a crisis. This is happening in our lifetime. This is happening next 10 years, next 20 years is when things will already be pretty bad. We have to address this immediately rather than saying, okay, we'll see if we can cut emissions by 5% this year, some small amount. They, we really want to see a lot of change happening quickly. So that is interesting. I interviewed a gentleman earlier today who's a millennial, and I asked him, you know, why was he doing the work that he's doing? And he said that, you know, he learned about the environment and some of the potential issues or catastrophes back in third grade. When would you say that, you know, this issue became relevant to you? Yeah, I definitely remember, I remember learning about, I remember very distinctly learning about the greenhouse gas effects in some level of detail in seventh grade. But I think before then, we had learned at a very high level. I think even in kindergarten, we were learning at least like reduce, reuse, recycle and generally the ideas behind sustainability. Um, but I think, you know, just elementary school, was, it was already became instilled in us that like there is climate change and we, we should really try and do something about it. We can't just keep on burning fossil fuels. So the reuse, reduce, recycle, you learned that at an early age. How has that made an impact on the way you've lived your life? That's a good question. I think... I think I've always tried to be like a somewhat, I don't know, frugal person, but I guess frugal in the sense, like, I just don't want to take too much load from the world at large. Like, I don't want to be living in a way that's going to cause problems for everyone down the line. Um, one thing that's interesting now is that I think we're seeing a shift with recycling where actually it, it might not be at least the way that America does recycling, where we just put everything in one blue bin, that might not be an efficient enough system for it to have like a, a big cost-effective impact anymore. Because we're, I believe Ch China just stopped accepting some of the recycling that we were sending over because it was too 
cost intensive to sort through. So I think we're almost seeing now like recycling has been great, but we also need to figure out better and better ways to recycle still. So it's it's almost coming to the terms with the fact that we're still a long way from where we have to go, even if we've been hearing for years and years that we need to be, we, we should reduce, reuse, recycle, that we should be shifting off of fossil fuels. Um, we still have a long way to go. It, there's just, it, it takes time. You know, I really appreciate that term you used earlier about taking less. I was speaking with a friend a couple of days ago about clothing and some of the um, issues around clothing and the fashion industry. And what I was telling her is that I've essentially said to myself that for every one piece I buy, I donate two well, you know, used pieces that can still be worn to another cause. That's awesome. So, Cutting yeah, it's myself. like your then your whole wardrobe is reducing, getting a little bit smaller and simpler, and it's it's recycling through the system too. Yeah, it's always great to buy secondhand and donate clothes once you're done with them. Usually, they have a lot of miles left in them, even after we don't want to wear them anymore. Clothing really does, and I think you know some of the um, some of what the marketing of the fast fashion industry has done here statewide and overseas too over the last 20, 30 years, I think is. Um, hopefully slowing down. I think people are coming to a realization to your point about pre-owned, lightly used clothing and just the amount of life you can get from certain clothing. So I totally yeah, agree thrifting's with you. cool now. Like all, all my friends and I, we go thrifting, like sometimes just for fun, we don't buy too much, but a lot of times like we see something really cool and want to wear it. Um, some of the coolest outfits that my friends wear were thrifted. So I, I think that's a really exciting thing where like now it's cool to get the reused clothing as opposed to trying to get like, I don't know, the fancy looking or more sleek or I don't know, uh, fresher looks. It's interesting to see how people like the vintage look a ton now. I think it has promising implications for the environment too. I agree. So, you know, you briefly touched on it earlier, but one of the things, you know, that I like to ask during this show is the why behind what you're doing. There's obviously an opportunity cost. You could be doing something else. You could be going back to making vegan meals again. You know, you've decided to commit to your current endeavor to Project Ren. What's your driving why behind it? Yeah. So for me, the way I see it is generally in life, I'd like to do, I'd like to make people happier. I'd like to make people feel better. I'd like to minimize suffering. Um, just cause that, that feels like a good, good thing to do. And Looking at climate change, it's an issue where it just gets out of control. Like it's really hard to rein it back in as we emit more and more greenhouse gases into the atmosphere. So some issues, it feels like it's not so urgent. Um, maybe we could we could wait ten years and then solve it, and that'd be okay. But climate change really feels like we, we the next decade is critical for climate change. Um, I'm not saying that we should give up if the next decade doesn't look good, but it, it's really like every every year matters with climate change. Now is the time to figure this one out. And then if we don't figure it out, if we as we just let it keep going on and on and increasing the average temperature of the world more and more and changing weather in disruptive ways, we can just see a lot of suffering in this world that I think is unnecessary. Um, so it feels like an appropriate thing to work on where it has a really huge impact to a lot of people. Like everyone on earth will be affected by climate change in some way. And 
or, or already is affected by climate change. Like a lot of people have been seriously affected, whether it's from wildfires or flooding or other extreme weather events. Um, and it, it's urgent. We should handle it now. And I think we can handle it with what we have today too. It feels like a solvable problem. So it, it makes sense to just allocate some, some time to working on reversing climate change any way we can. And I think Ren in particular, um, I think the, the why behind why we're doing this is that we see so many people who want to do something but don't know what to do. And so if we can just get more and more ways for people to take action in really simple but impactful ways, I think the impact of that will be pretty big. We'll have to wait and see, you know, a decade later what how it all turns out. But I, I have a feeling that can be a really huge amount of impact and devote a lot of resources and mind share um, and political will towards reversing climate change. So speaking of the future, you know, let's say magic wand in hand, where do you see Project Ren 10 years down the road? Yeah, one thing we really want to help with is generating more, like I was just saying, generating more political will toward reversing climate change. So every country is a little bit different here, and we we do have users all across the world. But I think as we can be more and more useful for creating systemic changes that have a positive impact on our climate, I think that's where a lot of the biggest wins could come from. So whether that means just providing information about what candidates or what policies are going to have a positive impact on our climate and what that impact might look like in terms of magnitude, Um, or if it's more like encouraging users, showing them the easiest ways to get out in their community and, and start organizing, even if they're not committing to you know, like making it a whole part of their identity or life, um, showing them some ways that they can take easy action that moves the the political system or generally changes the system around them, especially local governments we see as an opportunity to where individuals can have a more significant amount of impact. Um, beyond that, I would say helping fund a lot more of like the the fledgling solutions to climate change that are pretty promising. So one thing we see in Ren is a lot of people want to support something in their community or support something that is really exciting projects. Like I think there's lots of cool things we can do around growing more trees, but also a lot of people are excited about how we can remove carbon from the air with machines. And I think we can help fund some of those trickier projects that are require a little bit more in upfront research and development and investment. And I think in the long term, this could have a really huge impact on our climate where we're at a point right now where we have to draw down a bunch of CO2 that's already been emitted in order to, to stabilize the climate a bit more to where humans are used to. Um, so I, I think those are both carbon removal and systemic change are two areas where we'd like to sh- help show individuals how they can have as much impact as possible. So if I'm hearing you correctly, Project Rent could actually become a funding platform for future technologies. Is that correct? Yeah, I would say so. I would say that we're definitely looking into that right now. Um, The only reason that it's not really like that right now is it's a bit expensive for some of these technologies at this point to actually be pulling down CO2. But 
I think as we get a wider user base, um, as we see also see the cost of some of these technologies coming down a little bit, that becomes more and more promising. You know, a lot of REN users are thinking about their personal carbon footprint and how to offset it. And so maybe they it would be too expensive to remove the carbon with the machine. But I think maybe if 5% of their carbon footprint is offset by that machine, we can kind of almost build a portfolio of different climate solutions that a user can support. And I think that's that also sh- helps users understand like, okay, what are some of the promising solutions to climate change and what sort of help do they need to get to some scale where they're really pulling down or preventing a lot of CO2 emissions? That's very interesting. You know, as you were speaking, I was wondering about Project REN. Do you have a community aspect on the platform? Not quite yet. So that's one thing we'd really like to add more of. Um, I'd say right now the community is like, I don't know, on Twitter, or like we're just like emailing each other. But it's it's not really an organized community. I think that's really just because we want to grow it a bit more. Like, you know, a community of just a couple of people is one thing, but a community of hundreds of people is totally different where they, it feels much more like a community, I guess, in that you're connected with a lot of people. And I think also making local communities is another route where we could have a lot of impact so people can know who near them maybe has an interest in similar things that they do and really cares about doing something about climate change. I wholeheartedly agree. And as you were speaking about community, another idea came to mind about almost like gamification or leaderboards where individuals in the community can participate and, you know, just make it a little bit more fun and engaging. Perhaps. Absolutely. Yeah, we'd love to do some of that. Any way we can make it more exciting to do something about climate change, that's that's exactly what we want to do. Very interesting. So Landon, switching gears a little bit, you know, you mentioned user base and just from a business perspective, how are you getting the word out? You know, distribution I know is key. How how do you, how are you getting the message or word about rent out? Yeah, that's one thing we're we're figuring out as we go. So right now, users just tell each other. Basically, um, they share it on their social media, or lots of people just talk about it in person. Even climate change doesn't come up too often in conversations with a lot of our users, but. When it does, a lot of them actually like to mention REN as like something that they're doing personally about climate change. Um, other channels like partnerships with newsletters or kind of brands that have some sort of audience um, that aligns with folks who would be interested in REN, that's definitely another route that we can, we can pursue. And we've seen some amount of people hearing about REN through newsletters and people who already have like established audiences too. I think that, but that is a totally a question of how we can grow even more and more. I think it's largely going to be from just people getting the word out about Ren because they're excited to be a part of it. So a little bit off track here, but perhaps has a user community or a user somewhere in the world like surprised you? Like, for example, was there a user all of a sudden in Morocco? Oh, yeah. We... I believe it's it's over 40 countries. We have users in over 40 countries right now. That was quite surprising. We really, when we launched the site, it was really just built for the US. I don't know why, but we just thought everyone who used it would be from the US. And I remember like the first week, someone 
someone was trying to use our site and they, they kept putting in like a zip code that didn't, that we couldn't work with because no one lived in that zip code. And then we were trying to figure out what was going on. And eventually we got on the phone with that user because they were like, Hey, like something's up with your site. It's not working. And we found out they were from Spain and they were just trying, they had typed in like America zip code into Google or something and gotten like the white house's zip code or something. And we're trying to use that to sign up with. And we were like, Oh wait, like, yeah, there's people all around the world who are going to care about this. We need to, we can't just make this like with us data. We need to start looking at how we can bring in more and more countries. So um, that was, that was firstly surprising. And then now, yeah, we really get users from all over the world. Um, cool to see users from like Kenya and Uganda, which are where some of our projects are. Um, so it's like they're supporting a project that's in their local community and where they live, which I think is really powerful. That must've been a fun feeling for you to yeah, say. It's just crazy, crazy to see where they come from. So Landon, one of the questions I'd like to end with is that if you could share some advice or words of wisdom with the audience, what would it be? I think for us, kind of the biggest thing I believe in is that you should be the change that you want to see in the world. Like, I think it's sometimes easy to think of any individual like yourself as like insignificant somehow, but really the world changes when people do what they believe in. Like, if you've been following Greta Thunberg, she was just some teenager who sat outside city hall or parliament and um, just had a sign and no, no one was protesting with her in the beginning. And she just felt really strongly that the world should change. Let's see if I can do something to make the world change a little bit faster. And now there's millions striking around the world from the movement that she sparked. And I think it's easy to forget that the reason the world changes is just because people change it. And so I think if anyone's thinking about what they can do um, in their own life, just try and be a role model for others. I think it's, it's really important, especially in the context of climate change, where it's really a a problem that has to be acted on about everyone in the whole world is going to have to be involved in some way. So we should all try and be that role model. And it's been a great conversation and I really appreciate you sharing that advice. And I also look forward to catching up with you in the future and seeing where Project Ren is. Awesome. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me on the podcast. This is great. Thank you, Landon.